what really saddens me is like if you're if you're like 20 or 22 this doesn't seem weird to you it just seems normal it's just how it always was what's the big deal there's just certain things that the church can't do and maybe the church can't say is at the end of the world here's the big deal that like for people like me i'm almost 50 you know for the first half of my life to even suggest any of this stuff would be ridiculous it would be ludicrous there's no one that would ever begin to think that the church would not have the ability to say uh, really what the, the god's word says faith and life. For some people, they're parallel roads. They never come into contact with each other. One never influences the other. Yet for some other people, faith and life are more like intersecting roads. Often they're running opposite each other, but where they do intersect, wonderful God moments can be experienced. But yet for just a few, the two roads merge into one, and the results are truly a highway to heaven. What does the road of faith and life look like in your world? We are uh, continuing our message series, The Blessed Life, in which we're looking at what the the real biblical perspective of what the blessed life really looks like, which is different than those clips in which you just saw, which are um, churches that all kind of follow this uh, this concept called the prosperity gospel. And, uh, and you know, there's been an amazing amount of wealth that has been generated by uh, the people that you saw up there on the screen and, um, and many others as well. Um, and honestly, people have been fleeced by it. People have been uh, kind of sold the bill of goods that if you just, you know, contribute to this ministry, if you just sow into this ministry, um, God will make you as blessed as he has me. You know, as the pastor sitting up there with his uh, $15,000 suit and his automobiles, his his luxury cars, his uh, $6 million mansion or whatever it is, and you have these people that are literally giving their last $1,000, maybe uh, not sure how they're going to pay their mortgage bill, but in the hopes and in, in the promise that if I just do that and, and give that to this uh, this minister, to this ministry, you know, all of a sudden I won't have uh, financial problems anymore. And um, it's, uh, it's just, it, it's not good at all. Um, you know, for most of us in here, we can look at that and think, man, that is messed up. Uh, that is crazy. Uh, but what we don't realize is, is that can go on a whole lot more subtly, uh, than some of one, you know, some of the, the, the clips we, we've seen here. We can go into just, uh, other churches and maybe it's not quite as fancy. Maybe it's not quite as pronounced, but yet the message is the same. I remember about 18 years ago, I went to a church uh, that uh, started about the same time that uh, that we uh, that we did, and it was here in the the Metroplex, and um, it was a uh, it was started in a pretty wealthy area. Um, the, the, the pastor, uh, that started the church, uh, did something that, you know, is pretty smart from a business perspective. Um, he went and put on his staff as other pastors, people that weren't theologically trained or, you know, w- went through the seminary or so forth, uh, but people that were, were very well to do and very successful businessmen in, in the hopes of, and it makes a lot of sense that, uh, these very, uh, successful businessmen know other people who are very successful business, uh, 
uh, men and women, and they'll be inviting their friends, and boom, there it goes. Um, and I remember um, uh, going to uh, one of the services, and the message just happened to be on, on giving. And uh, the pastor stood up, and he talked about how, you know, when he started his ministry, he didn't have anything, and that he, uh, you know, would, 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 would just, you know, he'd give 20%, and he would give 30%, and the Lord would always give back. And he was always very detailed. In the early days, you know, when, when he wasn't making a lot of money, it was very specific how much he made, and almost to the dollar in the sense of, of what he gave. Um, and, and as it progresses, uh, you know, he becomes uh, uh, much more vague in terms of what he makes and what he, he gives. But the real turning point in his message was that uh, he reached this one point, and he felt like God was telling him to uh, just give it all. And so he gave everything that he had, every last dollar, everything that was in the bank and so forth. And sure enough, when he did it, the very next day, someone gave him an airplane. Like a lot of us have those laying around, right? And, and, and when, once again, the, this church is in an affluent area of, of the Metroplex, when they heard that, you just heard the buzz and you heard the wow and, and the excitement because they too have dreams that if, if they would just, you know, trust God in that way, you know, they could be given uh, airplanes. They could uh, experience the wealth and the blessing and the prosperity that this pastor was, uh, was teaching. And uh, it's not biblical, it, 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 it's not that there isn't uh, there isn't truth to with with um, obedience comes blessing, uh, but what I'm trying to help everyone understand through this message series is that the blessed life is a whole lot more um, uh, complex than that. It, that there's many more facets to it, and if you take just one concept out of Scripture and you blow it out of uh, uh, proportion and out of context, uh, what you have ultimately is false teaching. So uh, this morning, we're on week two of our, our series on the blessed life. And last week, I started off by um, starting with uh, the, the message that Jesus gives. Um, it's known in Scripture as the Sermon on the Mount. And, um, and it's the longest recorded sermon that we have of Jesus in the Bible. And uh, in it, he starts by talking about what all these things are that are blessed. And we covered like the first four last week. And I want to cover the last part of, of what's called the Beatitudes, uh, this, this listing of blessings that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 5. So if you want to look up there on the screens, um, and you can follow along. So we're picking up about halfway through Jesus' list of, of these blessings. And he says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, when they falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. For rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So you see, once again, a whole different set of, of blessings than what you saw in those opening clips. Now, we're going to start this morning with blessed are the merciful. And what struck me as I was working on this uh, this week is how closely these beatitudes tie to what my last message series was. Uh, 
My last, mass, my last message series was called uh, The God Mandate, and it came from Micah. And in the God mandate, it basically tells us what God requires of us. And if you were here for it, uh, hopefully you remember what the three things are, because it's just three things that it says God requires of us. It says to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before our God. And what's interesting, uh, and I hadn't picked up on it before, is that the list of what God says that we should do in Micah is a good part of what Jesus says is blessed here in the Beatitudes. Uh, so last week when I was started the, the, the Beatitudes, one of the things that Jesus said is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, I shared with you that righteousness and justice is the same word. So in Micah, when it says God expects of us that we would act justly, Jesus says, blessed are those who act justly. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So Jesus says what God says in Micah. And then last week we looked at uh, blessed are the meek, and and the word for word for meek is is, is basically the same as, is, is humility. And in Micah it says that we are to walk humbly before God. And so once again, what God's saying that we should do, His mandate of how we should live, Jesus is saying you're blessed if you do it. Now, when we're looking at this week's list, it starts out with blessed are the merciful. And once again, what was the third thing that, that we're told in the God mandate is that we're to love mercy. So what's crazy is when people look at these beatitudes of Jesus, some people like these prosperity guys, they won't even talk about it. But it seems like it's like just nonsense. It's crazy. A lot of people have a problem with all these things that Jesus says is blessed or are blessed. But all Jesus is really doing is reiterating what God has said for thousands of years. I mean, it was said there in Micah. Micah, he said to do it. Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 5, you're blessed if you do. And, and so listen, nothing's new under the sun. These aren't some radical teachings that Jesus is teaching. There's a continuity between the God of the old and the new. People are like, well, that was Old Testament. That was new. God doesn't have a split personality. He was the same yesterday as he is today, as he is tomorrow. And, and there's just this, this continuity in the message between old and new. Now, within the last month or so, I, I preached for about 40 minutes on what it means uh, to, for, to be merciful and blessed are the merciful. Now, I don't really expect that you remember what I said four weeks ago, and I certainly don't remember what I said four weeks ago, but nonetheless, I hate repeating myself even if I'm not sure what it is I said, uh, so I don't want to speak about it uh, too extensively because we talked about it a lot, but I want to remind you a little bit of what it means to be merciful. Part of the concept of merciful is, is in the same way in which you measure it, it will be measured back to you, okay? So if we're going to use this concept of measuring and of measuring, uh, measure, think of a measuring cup. You know, if everyone in here is supposed to get a cup of something, and I, I decide to be generous, and, and as I'm handing this out, everyone gets a cup and a quarter, then the concept is, in the same way in which you measure, it will be measured back to you. If you're showing generosity to others, then generosity will be shared back to you. But what if I'm a shrewd person? I'm like, they don't really know what a cup of that looks like. I could give them three quarters of a cup and they'll never know. And now I'm giving everyone three quarters of a cup. 
but I'm telling you it's a cup, then in the same way that it's measured to you, it will be measured to me. In general, what we want from God is we want mercy for ourselves, but we want justice for other people. But you can't expect justice for other people and want mercy for yourselves. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. He doesn't say blessed are the unmerciful. Why are the, why are the, the, the merciful blessed? Jesus says, because they will be shown mercy. It's only those who are merciful that will be shown mercy. If you do not show mercy to other people, don't be expecting that God will show you mercy because he won't. We are called to be merciful as God is merciful. The next thing that Jesus says is, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Now, that's an interesting one. We all probably know someone, I'm like, think of someone that's you consider, you know, that they have a pure heart. Most of us in here would probably come up with someone, but how do you really define what a pure heart is? And, and I guess the best way that I would define it is that there is a consistency between how they, what they do in their reasons for doing it, that there's a consistency between the outward act and the inward motive. Think about it in terms of if someone was dating your daughter, and the person that was dating your daughter, they want to, you know, they want to impress your daughter and they want to impress you as the parents. And so you want to see them opening the door for your daughter and closing it after them. Uh, when they come by the house, you want to be treated with respect, you know, for them to say, yes, sir, or, yes, ma'am, or whatever. And, and they can do that on the outward, but maybe they're only doing it because they're trying to impress you. And once they end up marrying your daughter, they, they don't open the door for them anymore. Uh, they don't really treat you with respect anymore. Well, it, the, their motives weren't pure. They're not pure in heart. Maybe as you were um, you're dating or whatever, when we're trying to catch someone and, and marry someone, we, we do all these different things. But then after we say, I do, the I do's become I don't, right? Well, the motives are off, and that isn't pure in heart. This was, this was Jesus' problem with the Pharisees is outwardly, they were doing all the right things. Outwardly, they were impressive. They had kind of great knowledge. Uh, their robes were impressive. Uh, they seemed very spiritual. They seemed like, you know, they were doing everything that they should do. But Jesus could see in their hearts. They could see in their hearts that they didn't really enjoy doing it. They weren't doing it for the right reasons. They just kind of liked the, the power and the prestige and everything else that came from it. So they were not pure in heart. So Jesus rejected them. And he uses this illustration that I love. He's like, Jesus, this is, what good is it if the cup is clean on the outside, but it's dirty on the inside? I mean, think about that. I mean, if you're going to get a glass of water and, and the cup looks amazing, it sparkles on the outside, but you look in the inside of it and it's all moldy and nasty and whatever, I, a little old chewing tobacco in there. I mean, who's going to drink out of that? It doesn't matter what's on the outside. What matters is what's on the inside. Let's look at what um, the Bible says about uh, this concept of pure in heart. From 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, flee from the evil desires of youth. Pursue righteousness. Pursue faith and love 
and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So I like that. Flee from the evil desires of our youth. Listen, we all, when we we're younger, did things that I'm sure we regret. You know, it's part of the growing process. It's part of the maturing process. Uh, Paul's telling uh, Timothy that, that, that we ought to flee from that, but what we ought to pursue is something called righteousness, faith, and love. And in that is the foundation of, of really what the Lord sees and calls pure in heart. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says this, the Lord doesn't look at the things that people look at. People, they, they just care about outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Listen, there can be some people who look amazingly friendly, but they're not. There can be, you know, we can get caught up into how attractive someone looks or how physically built someone looks. All these, God doesn't care about any of that stuff. What he cares about is a person's heart. Matthew 15, 18 to 20 but the things that come out of a person's mouth actually come from the heart. And it's what it goes on in the heart that defiles you, not the things that come out. It's, it's from within. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. This is what defiles a person. We, we tend to think it's the action that defiles a person. No, in God's eyes, it's the heart in which these things emanate from and flow from. That's what defiles a person. Matthew 12, to 34. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. If you make a tree bad, it will have bad fruit. For a tree is going to be recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, Jesus says. How can you who are evil say anything that is good? For your mouth will speak what your heart is full of. How many people do we know that, like, they'll say and do something, and it's pretty much wrong, and what they'll say is, well, God knows my heart. Well, what Jesus is saying is that there's got to be a consistency between one's heart and those outward actions, that, that, it, 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 that if your mouth's saying things, if your body's doing things, the, the, the problem's, you know, your heart. The mouth is just seeing what the heart's full of. And, and so how many of us in here, like, you know, we have a lying problem, but we think, you yeah, know, I'm a good person. No, the, 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 the lies that are coming out of your mouth, it's not about your mouth and the lies you're saying. It's about the heart that it emanates from. Uh, you know, how many of us, you know, have a problem with vulgarity and cursing? It's really just not about the mouth. It, it, it's a, deeper than that. It's about the, the heart. How about some of us who struggle with God? It's more than just words that are coming from our mouths. It's the heart in which uh, emanates these things. There must be a consistency, if we're going to be pure in heart, between those outward actions and the heart from which they come. Jesus says then, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. You know, what is a peacemaker? That is, God calls for peacemakers as people who will de-escalate events rather than escalate them. Look at what Jesus says in Luke 27 to 31. Look at how he starts this passage. He says, but to you who are willing to listen. He doesn't say that about any of the, the other Beatitudes. But I think he, he, what he's saying is he's recognizing, you think some of these other teachings were hard? Now, here is a difficult teaching. And he recognizes that some people are going to dismiss him. They're not going to believe it. They're not willing to listen to it. So to you who are willing to listen, Jesus says, love your enemies. 
Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. In fact, if someone's going to slap you on one cheek, you need to offer to them the other cheek as well. If someone's going to demand your coat, be willing to give them your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Instead, do to others as you'd have them do to you. Now, there's good reason why Jesus says to those of you who are willing to listen, I have to be honest with you, it's not, blessed are the peacemakers, it's not like one of my favorite passages in the Scripture. In fact, if Jesus had asked me, I would have encouraged him to, to leave it out. I'm a little bit more of an eye for an eye, a, a tooth for a tooth kind of person. But what Jesus is saying is faithful followers of Christ, we, we should um, show what the heart of God really is. And God's heart, for, you know, for the most part is that of peacemaking. Think about Jesus came into this world. Why? To bring peace, to reconcile the relationship between God and man. We see even in Jesus as he's being falsely accused towards the end of his life when Jesus is, is being mocked and spat upon, um, uh, whipped and, and nailed to a cross. Um, he, he had every right. I mean, that was falsely and evilly done against him. He had every right to call out curses upon those who were doing it. I mean, get, get it that he had to die, but he he could have punished those who were treating him so unfairly, uh, but he didn't. Um, he could have called down legions of angels to, to wipe them out. But instead, what does he do? He says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what it is that they're doing. And by nature, God is a peacemaker. And if, and I know it's a difficult deal. It's hard to be a peacemaker, but if we recognize that God calls for us to be a peacemaker, to de-escalate conflict rather than escalate it, think about how that can change our actions and our reactions. Can you imagine driving down the road? If, if people understood that we're called to be peacemakers, how we would act differently when we get offended and annoyed by how other people drive. I'm going to have to tell you, I failed miserably at this on Friday. I was driving to the church, and you know how traffic backs up now because of construction. And it backed up just like two cars beyond the entryway to the church. And everyone's waiting to get up to North Tarrington to turn. And I'm like, it makes no sense to wait three minutes for the light to change, to just pull up two cars and to pull in the parking lot. No one's coming. And so I do as I always do. I just kind of pull out because that kind of helps everyone behind me. You know, they're able to move up. But as I pull out and I go around this lady, she starts laying on the horn like I'm robbing the stinking bank. What is her deal? Like, she thinks I'm, like, going to cut traffic all the way to North Tarrant and jip them all out. I'm cutting in line. I'm going to show you. So I just go around the two cars, and I pull in the drive, driveway. I don't even get up into the parking lot part. I'm in that little gravel, like, thing that they added. And, and, and I literally just stop my car in the middle of that. I roll down my window, and I just stare. <laughs> I might have done one of these, too. 
And boy, I tell you what, she just starts like, ah, and she's screaming and yelling. And it's like, whatever. I just rolled up the window and I could, Greg, you're the pastor of the church. Stop it. <laughs> I told you, I, I, I'm not a real fan of this teaching. Blessed are the peacemakers. It's not always easy to do. But, I mean, how many of us, maybe in our jobs, we've got someone who's, who's just a real jerk, they're just really annoying, and, and, and they're always, like, just, like, throwing fuel on the fire and trying to get under our skin. I mean, how do you act, and how do you react? And, and, and Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Maybe some of you in here, you have a, a long-standing conflict, maybe with a former spouse, maybe with, um, with some other family member or a strange relationship with a friend. You know, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Listen, I believe in boundaries. I believe in strong boundaries. Uh, but, but with that being said, we also need to understand that the heart of God is that uh, he is a peacemaker, and he calls for us to be a peacemaker. Now, for some of you in here, you're thinking of a Bible passage, because I, I keep thinking about it as, as, I, as I preach it and teach it. Um, it's kind of an ex- exclusionary clause here. Jesus does say, I haven't come to bring peace to this earth, but division, and turn, you know, mother against uh, son, father against whatever. You know, he gives all these things. Yes, and, and and there's always this kind of law gospel tension within the scripture. But I think for most of us, we don't have a problem with that. What we have a problem with is what Jesus calls us to do, and that is to be a peacemaker. Now, uh, the last one that I want to cover with you guys, uh, there's actually two other blessings that Jesus gives, and we're going to uh, finish, but I've combined them both because they're, they're pretty much the same. And I've titled that, Blessed Are the Persecuted. Now, it says in verse 10, blessed are those who, perse- who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, when they persecute you, when they falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because your reward is where? It's in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So in this opening clip of all these pastors that were, were, were preaching, these false teachers, you're never going to hear them hear the, this concept of blessed are those of you who are persecuted because, you know, to be faithful, you're like those who have come before me. You're like the prophets. They're, they're, you're always going to hear about blessing that comes in this life. But what Jesus says is, is blessed are you when you, you are persecuted because your reward will never Never come in this life, but your reward will be in heaven. You know, Scripture tells us that as we get closer and closer and closer to the end times, the persecution of the faithful will increase. And, and though maybe it's been possible in the past to be an American um, and to live out your faith and not be persecuted, I, I really don't know that that's the case anymore. And I'm certain that five years from now and 10 years from now, it won't be the case. So I want to challenge you with this, is that if you're not being persecuted some way or, or another uh, on account of your faith, then you're, you're probably Probably not living out your faith um, is um, um, is completely is what you should, because we will more and more uh, as we get closer to the end times become more and more persecuted, even in this country. 
Now, when we think about being persecuted, when Jesus says, blessed are the persecuted, I'll admit to you that outside of this country, there's many places that have persecution worse than what we have here in America. Did you know last year in 2021, the first 200 days of last year in, in Nigeria, there was 3,462 Christians that were killed, including 10 pastors and priests. They were murdered because of their faith. That's 3,500 people in 200 days. That's a lot of persecution for a country. You know, we can think of North Korea. We can think of China. We can think of Muslim countries. In those countries, there may be a fair amount of persecution. There may be property that's seized. You might be put in prison. You might have family that will disown you. You might even be killed for your faith. There are places in which persecution is far greater than what it is in this country, but it's growing and it will continue to grow. I mentioned in a podcast a couple weeks ago about a lot of the persecution that's starting to take place north of us in Canada, in a place that historically has shared a lot of the same culture, a lot of the same values, a lot of the same religion and principles that what we have here in America. And and persecution is really beginning to kick in for the church there. During the COVID uh, deal, they, they they were pretty much forced to uh, churches to stay closed the entire time. Um, and if you opened, if you get gathered together to worship, you were going to be put into jail uh, for it, e- that even with other businesses being allowed uh, to be open. Um, in Canada, for several years now, it's actually illegal to read certain parts of the Bible out loud, and you know, in church and and and, and you know, in the public, and and that would be those passages that talk about uh, homosexuality being wrong. It may be in the Bible; you're just not allowed to teach it, and you're not allowed to uh, speak it out loud. Um, just this uh, year, a couple weeks ago, a new law went into uh, in, into effect in Canada in which you aren't allowed to proselytize. Now, that's a big fancy church word, but what it really means is you're not allowed to say certain things are wrong in the hopes of trying to get someone to change. Um, and, and, and so uh, what it has to do with can- in Canada is like if someone's dealing with uh, maybe wanting to become transgender or someone thinks they're one of like 20 or 50 50 different genders that they're supposed to be now and variations in, in homosexuality. You can't say that that is wrong in the hopes of getting them to repent and to change. Now, even in this country, there's been ministries that have been ministries to, um, let, let's say, uh, prostitutes in which, you, you know, the church is reaching out to these prostitutes in the hopes of, of trying to rescue them from that type of lifestyle. And, and that always has to start by saying, you know what, this is wrong. Because if it's not wrong, why should they stop? So the church would say, this is wrong. Why? In the hope that someone will repent. And if they realize that it's wrong and they repent, then they can change their life around. Scripture says this, is that when a sinner repents, there's a a celebration in heaven. Now, if you can't tell a prostitute, per se, that what they're doing is wrong, how will they ever repent and how will there ever be a celebration in heaven? So take this to Canada. You can't say that, you know, uh, that, that some of these things that, that society's kind of gotten into and have normalized, you can't say that it's wrong. So if you can't tell them that's wrong, then they never will be confronted with the, the, the truth and they can't ever repent. And if they can't ever repent, they can't ever like, like turn to faith and there can't ever be a celebration in heaven. Now that's just to the north of us. But I'm here to tell you that in the same way, you know, they send their cold fronts down in the winter, these same things are coming to us here in America as well. 
Just this week, um, someone shared it with me an article a day or two ago, and um, in YouTube took a sermon of uh, John MacArthur off of, off of its uh, servers. And John MacArthur, if you don't know who he is, he's a very Bible-based uh, preacher and teacher in California. He's like 80-some years old. He was the reason why churches were allowed to open in California because he was willing to stand up to uh, the government of California and saying what you, you're doing is unconstitutional. And in fact, he was right, and he won, and it allowed churches to be able to reopen in California. YouTube has just taken him uh, one of his sermons down, and they've taken one of his sermons down, and, and I'm telling you, what he said is that God God has created people either XX or XY. And if you don't remember what that is from biology, God's either making, he either creates you a man or he creates you a woman. And now that's considered hate speech in, 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 in today's world. Uh, YouTube determined that is, is hate speech. Now, when you took biology, like some of you 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, was it hate speech back then? No, it's called truth. It's called reality. It's still truth and reality, but we are already getting to the point in this country in which truth and reality is seen as hate speech. I'm here to tell you, if he's getting taken off YouTube for saying something like that, they might as well take down like three quarters of what I say, but the problem is, is I'm not famous like he is, so I'm safe. We also see persecutions in this country uh, because of, we, we really, we saw it uh, against the church uh, during the whole COVID deal. And in Texas, it wasn't bad. I mean, I didn't like it, don't get me wrong, uh, but compared to the other states in our country, listen, it was good to be in Texas, but um, uh, even in Texas for six weeks, like liquor stores were able to be open, the adult bookstores were able to be open, uh, not to mention the grocery stores, Home Depot, and all those other places, but, you know, but Churches were, were unsafe and they weren't allowed to be open. Now, I never once stopped coming to church during that time. Uh, I came every day and I had it fully in my mind that, you know what, if a cop's going to pull me over because I'm coming to church, I'm going to just tell him I'm going to work at the liquor store because that's allowed. And, and, and that garbage went on for like six weeks in Texas. It went on for like a year in other states. Uh, people actually will even die for, for their faith here in, in this country. It, does a year go by in which there's not a gunman that breaks, you know, goes into a church during Sunday service and, and starts killing people? I mean, that happens once or twice a year in this country. So people will, in fact, die because they are Christians in this country. Uh, as many, you know, I'm thinking as many as a dozen years ago, um, I think it was Columbine, but the, the school shooting, um, the, the, the person that went into the school and started killing people, he was just asking a simple question. Do you believe in God or don't you? And if they believed in God, they were being killed. So listen, people even die for their faith in this country. But the persecutions go beyond that. Think of a place like Chick-fil-A. Now, I'm originally from Buffalo. Do you know that the Buffalo airport won't allow Chick-fil-A um, in uh, to the airport? Because it's seen as a, a, basically a hate organization. Why? Because they're closed on Sundays and the people are religious. And, and there's cities that fight, uh, city councils that fight to keep Chick-fil-A out. You think about other businesses. There are business owners who, who actively have their businesses shut down by the state government because they're unwilling to, um, uh, to uh, do a certain event that might be in violation of their faith. You have other uh, 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 
Christian companies and, and, and Christian owners that are being forced to provide abortion uh, through health coverage, even though they, they, they couldn't be any more uh, against that in terms of their faith. Slowly, even in this country, not only are we losing the freedom of religion, but we're losing the freedom of speech. And in the same way that in Canada, it's illegal to read certain parts of the Bible, even as it is in Canada, um, five years in prison and jail to try to tell something something's wrong so that you might bring about a change and they repent and be saved. Uh, listen, we're, we're just a couple years from that. We're maybe five years. I don't know. We're, we're not long from that being the case here. And it's going to get worse from there, and it's going to get worse across the country. What really saddens me is, like, if you're, if you're like, 20 or 22, this doesn't seem weird to you. It just seems normal. It's just how it always was. What's the big deal? There's just certain things that the church can't do, and maybe the church can't say is at the end of the world. Here's the big deal that, like, for people like me, I'm almost 50, you know, for the first half of my life, to even suggest any of this stuff would be ridiculous. It would be ludicrous. There's no one that would ever begin to think that the church would not have the ability to say uh, really what the, the, God's Word says. And not only just for like the 20, you know, in the last 50 years, but how about go back for the last several thousand, this would be ludicrous. This is just a new invention of the last 20 years. It's all happened in the last 20 years. And it's like a, a rock rolling down the hill. It's like a ball going down the It's just going to keep getting more and more and faster and faster. And, and the persecutions are going to increase. And that's why you can't see uh, the blessed life as being tied to um, prosperity in this life, because here's what we're up against, is we're going to be faced with the challenge of what is more important to you, to be faithful to God's word and to be poor, to be faithful to God's word and be persecuted, or, or, or to receive the blessing of God and to be prosperous in this world. And there's a whole lot of people out there that are just teaching God wants you to be rich. And for there's a lot of us that are going to be faced with this as we go forward in the future that, you know what, you're not going to be able to have both. You maybe have been able to have both in the past. But you're not going to be in the future. And there's a lot of these pastors who've become disgustingly rich off of selling God's word for a profit. Jesus kind of speaks, you know, what he thinks about this prosperity teaching. And I'll leave you with this from Luke 6, 24 to 25. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, because you will go hungry. And woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and you will weep. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Gracious Almighty God, we just thank and praise you for this opportunity to hear what the blessed life already, or what it really is. Help us to not fall into the trap of pulling any one passage out of Scripture and taking it out of context. And I pray, gracious God, for all of us in here, we recognize that you have blessed us far more than we deserve while we have a good life, and we thank you for it. But if moving forward because of the increase of persecution causes us to have to choose between a job that will give us a good life and to be obedient to you and to not be able to experience the blessings of this life and life anymore, I just pray, gracious God, that we would allow such blessings to slip through our fingers joyfully as we know and we understand that even if we do not receive the blessings in this life, that the promises is the blessed life is to come and that our reward will be in heaven. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Certainly.